And like I said, my name's David. Uh, my wife, Emily, I have three small kids. Well, I say small. I see them as babies, but they're not really babies anymore. Calvin, he's 12 years old. Uh, Louise, she's nine. And Elizabeth, she's a sweet little angel baby. She's like 18 months. Uh, but we have been serving in the country of Papua New Guinea. Does anybody know where Papua New Guinea is? Yeah, oh, dang, dude. I had no idea where Papua New Guinea is. If you're wondering where Papua New Guinea is, it's right above Australia. Does everybody know where Australia is? Yeah, pretty much right above Australia. So we have been in the country of Papua New Guinea for the last 10 years. And since 2016, we have been in an isolated people group uh, in the middle of the Papua New Guinean jungle. And their name is the Maliali people group. We'll go into more detail about what that looked like and what it looks like now, but just for like face value of understanding what's, what I'm about to talk about, these people were completely cut off from the outside world. The world didn't even know they existed. In fact, you guys are probably just realizing that there is a people group in the middle of the jungle of Papua New Guinea named the Malayali people. Ten years before that, we had no idea like you that they even existed. But we have been among the Malayali people group since 2015, 2016, serving uh, there, learning their language. And we'll go into more details about what that looked like. But if you guys can walk away with one thing, one thing, this is what I want you to walk away with. This morning, we're going to talk about God's heart for the nations, but what I want you to walk away with is this book, although many books and so many different stories, is actually one book. From Genesis to Revelation, it has one story, and that one story is God's mission. That mission is his heartbeat for the nations. There are people groups that still exist today that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. There are people groups that exist in utter darkness. They have no accessibility to this understanding, to this book, to this one mission. They have no accessibility to God himself. Thousands of people groups that have not heard this one story of God's heart for them. Now this, this story begins with God creating everything in absolute perfection. He creates everything in perfection, and then he creates Adam and Eve, male and female, man and woman. He creates them in absolute perfect innocence. And in so doing, he gives them a commissioning statement, and he says, listen, I want you two to be king and queen over everything that I've created. I want you to go forth, multiply, fill up the earth, have dominion, subdue it. I want you to be kings and queens over all things that I've created. Have babies, and eventually those generations of offspring would fill out the earth completely. But what I want you to do is I want you to keep and cultivate this garden that I've given you too. So inevitably, that garden would not just expand, but that it would eventually cover the entire world. They were to have dominion and subdue all things that were created. And in so doing, worshipers of God, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve would fill out the earth. And the garden itself would fill up the earth. And everyone would know the knowledge of the one true God. Except that's not what happened. 
We understand in Genesis chapter 3 that the serpent, Satan, enters the garden and deceives man and woman into thinking that they needed something more, and so they disobey the Lord. And the Lord then casts them out of the garden. They lost paradise, but they didn't lose their purpose. They were still commissioned to be king and queen in all of creation, that they would multiply and fill up and fill out the earth with the knowledge of the one true God. But in Genesis chapter 6, a little later on, after generation upon generation it began to multiply, we see that every intention of the heart and every thought of the mind is absolutely, utterly wicked. So much so that God says, I'm, I'm going to start over. I'm going to wipe out the created order of man. I'm going to wipe out the created order of all creation and uh, Noah, being a friend of the Lord, I'm going to save Noah, his family, and some created order of animals. And do you know what? When Noah steps off of that boat, do you know what God tells him in Genesis chapter 9? The same thing that he told Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, fill up the earth, fill out the earth with the knowledge of me. But what do we see? Come to Genesis chapter 10, Genesis chapter 11. Are they filling up the earth? Are they having babies? Are there generations upon generations of people? Oh yeah, there is. One language, one people, and they have expanded. They've multiplied exceedingly. But guess what? They were not scattering. They were not filling up the earth. They were not willing to go out and fill out the earth. They wanted to stay in one localized area. They said, let's come together and let's build a city so that we wouldn't have to go out into the lands. And that's not what God told them to do. They become so distracted by building this city that they become so desensitized in what they're doing that they begin to build a tower. That they would have God look at them and marvel at the wonder of this tower and the magnificent height of it. But instead, God doesn't marvel, but he comes down and he scatters this one people into many different nations. He takes this one language and he confuses it into many. And they are spread out through the world coming up as nations, as people groups, as tribes, as many different languages. And there they sat in utter darkness. Do you know why Genesis chapter 11, the story of Tower of Babel, is so incredibly sad? It's not just because he took one people and scattered them into many. It's not because he took one language and made it into multiple. It's because he pushed them so far out that they would not have accessibility to the knowledge of him. They have no knowledge of the one true God. So God chooses Abraham, and in Abraham he says, I'm going to make you an amazing group of people. I'm going to bless you beyond measure. And the blessing that comes to you, I'm going to bless the world through you, Abraham. Abraham's sons come up. Israel ultimately gets formed. We have this massive people group that's now moving into the promised land. And their whole goal was to be the light for the nations that were in the darkness since Genesis chapter 11. They would finally show that Yahweh is the greatest God that you could ever serve. That he's the one that not only gives you blessing, but he gives you purpose. And there would be a light to those who are in the darkness. But instead, Israel loved to be loved by God. Israel loved the blessings of God. Israel loved God fighting their battles. But they genuinely wanted to love someone else. 
And we understand that when Israel entered the land and in the book of Joshua and Judges, Israel begins to look at the idols that the nations worshipped. And they wanted to worship them, those idols themselves. And so Israel, they themselves, God's chosen people, were plunged into darkness. They were carried into captivity by the nations. They ultimately became just like the nations that they wanted to serve and worship. Until Matthew chapter 4... When Jesus steps foot in the land of Zebulon and Nephtali, do you know the first thing that Jesus does in his earthly ministry is that he brings the light of the glorious riches of God's grace to a people who did not understand it and who did not have access to it. Jesus shines the light for the very first time. And in Matthew 28, Jesus says, listen, this is your job. Church, this is your job. Take this message, take this good news, and shine the light in the domain of darkness. Bring the light to the places that have not heard it yet. Go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And do you know what? We look at this overall problem with 7,000 people groups that still have not yet heard the name of Jesus Christ. And it can be daunting. We can grow uh, like worried, distressed. Man, is God really going to do what he says he's going to do? At the very end of his book, Revelation 7-9, it says every nation, every people group, Every language, every tribe will surround the throne of God and joyously worship him for all of time. That is the mission of God. That is the heartbeat of God, that he would be made known currently where he is not. From cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, that is the mission of God. Man, my family got to be a small part in seeing the gospel reach a people group that we did not know even existed. When we got to the country of Papua New Guinea uh, in like 2000, 2014, 2013, when we arrived in the country of Papua New Guinea, we learned the first language and we learned the first culture. This is the first language that we had to learn for the national culture. And then, right after that, our leadership, after testing into fluency of the national language and culture, they handed us a piece of paper. A piece of paper that only had digits. They were GPS locations. No names, no information, just a few GPS locations. And they said, previously to you, a group of men hiked through this mountain range and they logged all the GPS locations where they found people that were isolated in the jungle. They hiked through the mountains, they hiked through the swamps, and they hiked through the valleys of this province. Here's six places that they found that these people have no roads, they have no access, they're completely cut off. They do not know that the outside world exists. Choose one. So we're like, dang, for reals? So we chose the first one, and it had a nearby airstrip pretty close. Yeah, that's a relative term. 
pretty close. So we land into that nearby airstrip and then we begin to walk. We had the GPS locations and it's like a couple hours away, but we did not look at it topographically. If we were, if we were, if we were smart enough, we would have understood. It was up a mountain, down a mountain, up a mountain, down a mountain, up a mountain, down a mountain. You guys, for 24 hours, this first lake, we had not reached Maliali, but I kid you not, I had puked like 20 times. Like I was on the verge of death. It was so incredibly hard because I was not physically ready for what was ahead. 24 hours go by, we're still not in Maliali. Another 10 hours go by and we finally make it to Maliali. Stopped in the, stopped in the middle of the road, it, it began to rain and pour, we set up tents. And then the next day, we just continued to hike, and so on and so on as it went, continuing to puke. But we finally made it into Maliali. Dude, the first time we heard their language was the very first moment we stepped in their land boundaries. The very first time we entered their tribe was the very first time their language had been heard outside of their context. You guys, there's no Rosetta Stone for the Maliali language. There's no alphabet for the Malayali language. They're an oral culture only. So what we did was we handed off some goods. We made some connections. We cut down a little patch uh, of like trees so that eventually if we come back, a helicopter could come and land. And in so doing, coming back, talking to our wives, we're like, man, is this the place? Let's pray about it. We we were like, yeah, why not? Like, why? They, they are so incredibly cut off from the gospel. We ought to go to these people. And so we landed our families. We lived in their houses for three weeks. And after that, our, our wives and our children, they left. And we began to cut down trees. We milled those trees. We created, uh, like, some, you know, timber logs. We built our houses from those trees that we cut down. And then as we built our houses, we began to learn their language. And I remember the very first time we stepped out, the very first time we heard their language. We'd step out, step out of the door. And we're like, what the heck have we gotten ourselves into? And then it would be a pause. And then in a distance, you would hear, and we're like, this is going to be impossible. Like, where do you even start? We had amazing training through our organization, so we knew, okay, we need to start writing down the sounds, the sounds that we're hearing. And eventually, days that turned into weeks, that turned into months, that turned into years, those sounds became symbols, those symbols became words, those words became phrases, those phrases into Sentences, sentences to paragraphs, paragraphs to stories, into our fluency. After finally learning the Malayali language into adulthood, we were fluent. We created a literacy program for them to read and write for the very first time in their language. Like I told you, they, they have no Rosetta Stone. Their language hadn't been written down. It's an oral culture only. And so we wanted to create an alphabet, and we wanted to create a literacy program for them to read and write because we knew the purpose of us being there was to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we wanted them not just to hear our words, but we wanted them to see the very scriptures of God's word himself, that they would see it and be able to read it for themselves. After creating the literacy program and having two graduating classes, we began to translate 
scripture. We began to take this one story and we did 53 lessons. Think about like 53 different chapters from Genesis to Revelation to tell this one singular story about God's love for them through Jesus Christ and what the Holy Spirit has done for us because of Jesus Christ's accomplishments. Man, the moment we began translating scripture was the moment they realized, dude, these guys are actually doing what they said they were going to do. They haven't just learned our language. They haven't just taught us how to read and write. But they're now telling us they have a message that they've come to bring that's going to change everything. We are so incredibly ready for this. You guys, this video is a small, small picture of what that, that season of life looked like, those two stages, learning language and doing literacy. It was for the very first time, man, I was able to look at my best friend. He had, man, he was the number one guy uh, with me in learning language. His wife helped my wife. Um, his kids were my kids' friends. Like, and he, they, the Malayali people had been waiting for something. Their ancestors had, had told them previously, we won't go into all the details, but they had told them previously, listen, you are waiting for something. The ground is going to open up and you're going to be able to get everything you've ever wanted the sky is going to open up and this great big bag is going to fall down from heaven and it's going to be full of everything that you've wanted and i looked at my best friend and i was like dude this whole time the malayali has been waiting for something but i'm so excited because this message is going to tell you not who or not what you've been waiting for but who you've been waiting for you know, when the, when the Malayali people heard the very first lesson, we spoke on pre-existent, a pre-existent God before creation. And, and God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had this harmony, this love, this relationship, this joy, this happiness that was eternal, both past, present, and future, never ending. This crazy amount of joy and happiness one with another, and they were blown away because they had never seen this type of love, harmony, and joy. More importantly, when Adam and Eve were created, the Malayali people understood that all these things were not just created for themselves. They weren't just created for Adam and Eve to enjoy, but these things were created so that Adam and Eve could be a part of this joy, this happiness that God had. Man, they were blown away because they had no idea that this kind of joy and hope was accessible. They kept on asking the question, well, why the heck are we so bad? Why do we not have this joy? How come we can't experience this? And then we finally got to Genesis chapter 3, and they realized, shoot. And the Malayali people, after hearing Genesis chapter 3, the story of Adam and Eve being deceived in the garden, they finally saw the realization. They finally had their understanding. And they began to weep, not because Adam and Eve sinned, but because they saw themselves in Adam and Eve. 
They knew that they had sinned too, and that's why they don't have this fellowship with the one true God. But the promise of Genesis chapter 3.15, that a road-cutting man would come, a Messiah, a Yomatifu Mofi. Yomatifu le yuv koak moapateu. Oapate with luamofi lafa pue mani weme. Ane we with luamofi laf aneliame. That this man, this road-cutting man, this Messiah, this promised one would come and he would crush the head of the Satan or crush the head of the serpent. He would be able to remove his people's sins and he would be able to bring them back into a right relationship with the one true God. Dude, they were ready to meet this guy. We get to the story of Noah and they're like, yes, we're all getting on the boat. This is the guy we've been waiting for. And they realized, oh, shoot, he's not the one we've been waiting for. They have no concept of time. We do our absolute best to say, no, guys, this was like thousands of years ago. They have, they have no concept. So they see a character, and they're like, this is the guy. We get to uh, Abraham, and they're like, oh, this is the one we've been waiting for. Are we going to be able to meet this guy? And we're like, no, you guys, like, this is not the one you've been waiting for. This happened a long time ago. Then we get to Moses, and they're like, this is the guy. And No, sadly, it's not. Then after Moses, Israel's established. They're entering the land. Then you get King David, and they're like, this is it. This is why your parents named you David. They wanted to give you honor because this is the guy we've been waiting for. And they realized, oh, no, this is not the guy. But then they realized something even more devastating. Every single king after David, both for the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, they weren't that guy either. And then we got to the story of John the Baptist. And they knew, dude, this guy is coming. Rewind and we do the story of the birth of Jesus. And they're like, that's his name. That's the guy we've been waiting for. Jesus And then they saw, man, according to Matthew chapter 1, he's better than David. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. In Matthew chapter 2, he's he's an even better Moses. He's the liberator of Israel. He's the one that's coming out of Egypt to rescue his people. They get to Matthew chapter 3, and Jesus goes into the water, and he comes out, and the dove descends like the dove descending on Noah, that Noah would be the savior of his family and the created order of creation. And the dove would come back to Noah and say that the floodwaters are receding. But this dove that's falling on Jesus is saying the reign and the rule of Satan's sin and death is finally at an end. This is our Savior. And then in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus willingly goes into the wilderness. He's tempted by Satan. Jesus does in 40 days what Israel couldn't do in 40 years. Jesus obeys his heavenly Father perfectly. And he becomes the one brand new man that we swear our allegiance to. He becomes our king. He becomes our liberator. He becomes our savior. He becomes our one true man. And they were blown away. They loved him. Loved him. But then they saw how he was treated. That he was mocked. That he was disrespected. That he was accused, treated like a criminal, killed like a criminal. And they said, this is the one we've been waiting for, but he's dead. What are we going to do? And they sat with that lesson for three days. 
And then they saw him. Not the one hanging on a tree, but the one victorious over Satan, sin, and death. Truly, Jesus Christ is the one who will crush the head of the serpent. Truly, Jesus Christ is the one, the only one who can remove his people's sins. Truly, Jesus is the one, the only one, who can bring us back into a right relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that joy and happiness that was attainable for Adam and Eve but they lost it, is now accessible to us. Dude, on that day, Malayali people bowed their knees in faith towards Jesus Christ, and 70 of the Malayali, 250, saw Jesus Christ as king, and they said, our faith rests on the road-cutting man. There is no other road. This is a small video of that amazing season of getting to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. You guys, it was our absolute privilege to be able to learn the Malayali language, to create an alphabet, to do a literacy program. It was our absolute privilege to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the Malayali people, but we are currently still working with the Malayali people. We want to see a mature church, elders, deacons, a Bible, fully translated into their language, that they would be sustained by the word of God until they die or Jesus Christ returns. That's our goal. So it's like 12, 15 more years. But we're stateside doing some medical stuff for the next couple of years. And, um, but, but I want to say this. I am the most dyslexic person in this room. Like, I don't care how dyslexic you think you are. I take the cake, bro. I do. I do. I can go into all the details, man. My parents lied to me for like the first half of my life. Just like, you're, you're great. Like, we keep on holding your back because you got a late birthday and, you know, you're your teacher's helper. And no, dude, I had severe learning problems, y'all. Like, big time. Big time. And people say, dude, David, how in the world did you don't even, you barely know English. You barely can read a book. How are you going to do literacy for an unreached people group? How are you going to learn their language? You know why? Because I realized something. This is not my story. This is not my story. This is not my mission. This is not my purpose. You know, so many times we come to the Bible and we treat it like a yearbook. What do we do with a yearbook? Do you guys still have yearbooks? Yep. All right, cool. What do you do when you get a yearbook? Dude, you look for your picture. That's the first thing you do. Are you looking for your friends? No, you're looking for your picture. That's what we do with the Bible. But you know, don't, don't finish it out loud because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I was severely embarrassed one time. Somebody said, David, can you finish this verse for me? I'm not going to tell you the reference because I don't want you to cheat looking in your Bibles. Be still and, and I said, know that I am God. And he said, that's not it. And I said, yes, it is. And he said, no. It's be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. My name will be proclaimed among all peoples. Psalm 46. 
So many times we have the truth, but we miss the verse. And if we miss the verse, we potentially may miss a lot of the verses. And if we miss a lot of the verses, then there's a danger of missing the story. And if we miss the story, then we miss the mission. And if we miss the mission, then we fail to see our purpose as the church. Go and bring the light of the glorious goodness and riches of grace of Jesus Christ to the people that have not yet heard it. There are 7,000 people, groups in the dark, that have not yet heard this glorious message. Go and proclaim it to them. And when we're stressed, and when it looks huge, and we think, what the heck are we going to do? Be still and know that he is God. Because he is going to finish his mission. And you can be a part of it or not. I pray that you guys would think about his mission, this story, your purpose, a part of his mission among those people groups that have not yet heard it. But maybe one day they will. Because the Lord allowed you to go and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Guys, thank you so much. It's an absolute privilege. Seminar is over.